My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. My guest today is Janet Allison. Janet's work asks and helps us answer the question, how do we raise boys to become good men? Janet uh, started her career as a teacher and has evolved to become the founder of Boys Alive, a organization that provides coaching and education to parents of boys of all ages. She's also the host of the On Boys podcast, which is now four years running and has been downloaded hundreds of thousands of times and has reached, has interviewed so many experts uh, in the worlds of child psychology, development, parenting, and in particular, the development of, of young boys. And as a father of a young boy, this is, was a pretty selfish conversation for me. I just was like, Janet, teach me how to do this. So if you are a parent, period, if you are a parent of a young boy, even more so, this conversation is absolutely for you. But what I also want to offer is that even if you are not a parent and don't ever plan to become one, this conversation impacted me very deeply, and I think it will for you too, because it points to a, a tragic feedback loop that keeps making it harder and harder in our culture for children of all genders and all body types. And primarily we focus on boys, but I think you'll see this pattern in all cases. It makes it harder for boys to become good men and children to become good adults because we keep, we keep doing the opposite. <laughs> we keep reinforcing certain things and excluding or repressing other things. And as a result, we keep producing the kinds of social cultural problems we see in our adult spaces where, um, where we see men abusing power, um, where we see men unable to communicate effectively, to be in touch with their emotions. We see men who confuse strength with force, who confuse confidence with uh, arrogance, all of these sort of quote unquote problems, I shouldn't put quotes around that, problems, all the problems we see in adult men behavior actually have roots in our culture's approach to raising boys. And Janet has just done amazing work as an educator for decades to help parents and other teachers and people of all backgrounds think really clearly and intentionally about who do we want our children to become? How do we how do we help them become who they are already? How do we help them unlock all of the potential they have? 
without forcing them into a gender role that limits all of that potential. So there's a lot of juice from this squeeze, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Let's get settled in. <sighs> and hear what Janet has for us. Hi, Janet. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. Hi, Andy. Thank you. Happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, I want to give a, a big audio wave to our mutual dear friend, Dick, who introduced us and who has just been a wonderful mentor and support in my own journey and um, really grateful to be here and thankful for him for making the connection. I am also thankful for him making that connection. He's my, he's my pickleball, but <laughs> <laughs> love it. I love it. Well, Janet, I, uh, as a parent, including a parent of a young boy and possibly we'll see uh, with a next arrival, possibly mm -hmm. a parent of two boys. I really so appreciate and value and feel the importance of the work that you have been bringing to the world with Boys Alive. And my hope for today is that we can dive into what's important about raising boys in this moment mm -hmm. in our history and also some insights about how, what, what that looks like, how, what that might look like in practice. And, you know, honestly, like very selfishly, like if I can leave here with some more <laughs> wisdom about how to be a better father, mm -hmm. I want to leave with that. And, and I hope that other people listening, whether or not their parents can, can really tune into the importance of the work that you do. Oh, well, there's so much. There's so much. And, you know, everything we say in support of boys and men is also in, in support of girls and women because we we need each other and we need the gender binary and the gender fluid and all of that. So we have to you know, I, I feel like we're all humans. I have a uh, a pet peeve about the t-shirt, the hashtag, the future is female. And I believe that, you know, the future is all of us mm. and, mm. and we need to really focus, not shift our focus, but in, in addition, focus on what's happening for boys mm. because our mm. boys are suffering. Our boys are failing. I am also have, the on boys parenting podcast. So we're talking with guests all the time about what's going on globally for our boys, what's going on nationally for our boys, locally for our boys. And I was also a teacher, hmm. um, an hmm. elementary ed teacher and a Waldorf teacher. And that's really where I realized, and this was back in the mid nineties. And our focus then was so much on girls and equity for girls always great. Not saying no, but what never happened was we never shifted that focus to support our boys. Mm. And I, I felt it as a teacher and that propelled me to get really interested in 
what, what is different? What is going on? How does our system not suit our boys? Mm. And, you know, 20 years on, and I've been advocating for boys and talking this talk for so long, and it still feels like we have teachers who are predominantly female. We have boys who are being sent to the principal's office, expelled, suspended. We have boys who, little boys who are still being disciplined by taking recess away. Mm. And, you know, recess, if you ask any boy in elementary school, what's your favorite subject? They'll say (laughs) recess because they need to move their bodies. And boys typically need to move their bodies in order for their brains to move to. So when Mm. we can look at an active young boy, we think, I think now I didn't know this then. Oh, he's thinking, he's processing, Mm. he's, Mm. he's formulating thoughts and words. But when we have this notion of sit still, listen and learn, our boys shut down or they get more wiggly and then they become the discipline, the behavioral issues, the, oh, we need to have him tested for ADHD, whatever that might be. And it's horrifying. You're shaking your head. No, Mm -hmm. Andy, it's so wrong. And it's so painful. It just hurts me deeply. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, and, and I, I will also say that I raised daughters. I didn't raise sons and, and yet, even parents of girls need to be aware of what's going on with boys in school, on the playground, everywhere. It's mm. an it's an all all of us issue that we really need to mm. be thinking about and addressing. There's so much in there, Janet. I, I wonder if you could speak more to if we if things keep going the way they've been going or if nothing changes in the way that you advocate for and we'll we'll get in i hope to some of the specifics of what you're advocating for but like and feel free to to come at this from either direction either like what's the what becomes possible for us as a sort of society if what you're advocating for in the education of young boys comes to be and also inversely what's at stake if we just keep continuing to treat boys in all the ways that you've sort of begun to allude to. Mm -hmm. What's at stake is more angry boys growing into angry men. What's at stake is more boys who don't feel seen and heard growing into angry men (laughs) um, or shut down, Mm. you know, withdrawn, shut down. I'm just going to go play video games because I'm no one understands me. I I'm not able to express myself. I'm not heard in a way in the way that I do express myself. And we just had a a guest on our podcast that is very tied into data and statistics and all of the data. I mean, any anything you look at for boys and men, it might be. Um, you know, at the horrifying end of the spectrum, incarceration rates, suicide rates, school suspension, all of those statistics are much higher for men and boys than they are for girls and women. And so that's the, you know, that's what 
it's mm. already mm. happening mm. because we aren't addressing mm. what our boys need. Mm. So there's that part. And then the part of what, what can we do is we need to understand that number one, our boys are on their own developmental trajectory. So scientists know, research knows that a newborn baby boy is about two weeks less mature than a newborn baby girl. Hmm. Start from the get-go. We know that boys are more fragile. Boys are more likely to be miscarried. Boys are more likely to have uh, premature births and have Hmm. uh, birth, you know, issues around birth um medically yet we think oh boys are tough and strong and we treat boys as if they are we know that parents and i would say parents and teachers speak more harshly to boys Mm. than Mm. girls i mean it's you know we can go down every avenue and our perception our deeply embedded beliefs about boys is not serving them and it's not true Mm. our boys are more fragile our boys feel deeply Mm. it just might not show up and be expressed in the way that we typically think Mm. this is how you show emotions this is how you talk about your feelings boys aren't especially little boys aren't going to have the words unless we help them to have the words to talk about their feelings. But if you're a good observer, you're going to know how your boy feels because you're going to see it in his body. Mm. It's going to show up Mm. in his Mm. body. Mm. Mm. (laughs) There's, this is really, uh, I want to just underline, you're saying like, we know, and I just want to like put myself in like, Oh, I'm not in the know. I'm like, uh, you're already dropping some knowledge on me that that is really fascinating and eye opening. Uh, this fr- fragility piece. I want to maybe look at that more in a minute, but I, mm-hmm. I, I just am in touch with uh, my son who's maybe 20 months old thereabouts. And you're like, you know what he's mm-hmm. feeling. And I'm like, wow. Like, yeah, he, the way his body is, uh, he uses his body is so distinct. For instance, when he's sad, this is something my daughter never did. When he, my son is sad, he will literally sit on the ground and just let his head hang down towards the ground. Sometimes his head touches the ground all the way. And he oh. just is like, and it's like, Oh my God, you like, he just really is. And it could be cause he can't find his car toy or something like that. But like, yeah. he just really like feels the sadness and it's there in his body. And when he's happy, he, sometimes his shoulders are like kind of coming up and he's like, almost, it's almost like he doesn't know where to put the happiness. And he's just kind of like, lifting up on his tiptoes and sort of like, and it just, so I just want to share that as a data point of one that I see him even at this early stage kind of expressing in ways that are different than my daughter. And of course, maybe we could argue, oh, well, they're just different people, but I, but it sounds like you're saying that there's something to that difference in expression that I'm seeing between the two of them. Definitely. And so what you can do as dad of this little boy, what your listeners can do as parents and teachers is put words to help him develop his emotional vocabulary, Mm. help him. So boys typically have less oxytocin 
than girls. That's that empathy, tend and befriend hormone. And mm. that's the place where emotion, emotional, that's the place where emotions live. Mm. So we want to help build his emotional vocabulary, even from the youngest age and put mm. words to, oh, your, you know, your feet are dancing. You must feel all bubbly and, and give them mm. images of that feeling so they can start to be like, yeah, it's not just my feet moving. Oh, here's some words that go along with it. So you're giving them that, mm. that mm. range of emotions, mm. which we absolutely want our boys to have in, not just in the angry, sad categories, but also in the happy, mm. because our emotions are so nuanced, you know, why are you frustrated right now? Oh, you're frustrated because you can't physically do that thing, or you're frustrated because you're hungry or you know all the things we want to be able to give our boys mm. that language mm. and i had a dad once um i do a lot of talks with parents and i'm a family coach and i had a dad dad once say you mean i need to put words in his mouth and i thought that's absolutely exactly perfect we do our boys need that extra boost because mm. many mm. boys don't necessarily come with that ability and they'll and they'll come to it later, our boys. So another piece of what I wanted to add to this, you know, less mature at birth developmental trajectory, our boys, and this is especially clear in younger aged boys, are a year to a year and a half, and I use air quotes behind their chronological age hmm. in many avenues of their development. Hmm. Hmm. So we have as parents, as educators, we have this idea of what a five-year-old child is like. Hmm. And for many parents, that five-year-old boy isn't like the five-year-old girls you're hanging around with at the playground or in kindergarten he might be more like four mm. and it might be more like four today because he didn't sleep very well last night or he started <laughs> to get sick. But when we can open up that expectation and, and, and give him the benefit of the doubt, like today you might be feeling like you're three and a half. So I'm going to adjust <laughs> for that. But what happens is we get to preschool, we get to kindergarten, first grade, and there's the set of expectations and what happens for our boys is, number one, they they can't meet the expectations that the system or adults have decided that a seven-year-old should be able to do or a six-year-old should be able to do. The other thing that happens is they look around this classroom of, you know, say, young six-year-olds to almost seven-year-olds, whatever the range is, and they look around and they see the girls and the girls are sitting still and they're following directions and they're able to actually hold their crayon or their pencil. Mm. And here's the boys. And all they want to do is move their bodies mm. and they're wiggly and the teacher's telling them to sit still and they're getting in trouble because they're, you know, goofing off with their friends and they're not able to do the work. So 
And I, I can encapsulate, encapsulate this in a mom who told me that her seven-year-old boy, so he's in first grade, came home one day and said, mom, all the girls are perfect mm. and I'm the bad one. Mm. All the girls mm. are perfect mm. and I'm the bad one. Mm. 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 Can you mm. imagine? Mm. Yeah. And that's the, that's a burden that that young boy might carry all the way into adulthood. If, uh, if there isn't an opportunity for him to get some space around that story. Absolutely. Mm. They see our boys are so observant. They see, and, and this is, this comes from female teachers who don't understand boys who might more easily connect with girls. I was one of those teachers. I had no clue about boys when I entered the classroom and I had a first grade of 10 boys and two girls. And I'll tell you what, Oh boy, <laughs> they just about killed me because I didn't understand what they needed. But the minute I realized, oh my gosh, we need to spend the first at least 40 minutes of the day outside moving our bodies so mm. that they can mm. come inside mm. uh, and be able to focus a little bit more. But those boys needed to be active and moving mm. and I kind of lost my train of thought there. Um, we were ta- I, I sort of mentioned that, like, that's a burden that could carry with yeah, the yeah, boy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this burden that our boys are carrying from, from the beginning, this message, subtle and not so subtle message that they get from their female teachers, because we know most preschool, kindergarten, early elementary teachers are female. I think it's about 96 percent. 96. Wow. Can you imagine? And so you're a little boy and you're active and you're like, yeah, school's going to be so fun. And you get there and there's a woman who views you at, as a. Well, you don't quite measure up because you can't talk to me. You can't tell me how you're feeling. You're moving Mm. all the time. You're wiggly. You're disruptive. You're noisy, all the things. And you start to feel like you're Mm. you are the bad one. Mm. And this does carry through into, as you said, into adulthood of that feeling And again, back to the statistics, you know, we know that more girls are valedictorians than boys. And so there's this this um, dichotomy between boys and girls that is so apparent. And I will say about that developmental trajectory, the boys do catch up. I want to make sure we get that in there. The boys Mm. do catch up. But Mm. guess when they catch up? No, I, I don't want to risk it. You got to tell me when they catch up. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, at puberty, adolescence, when do they catch up? Later than that? Sooner? Yes. Later than that. Wow. Early 20s. Early 20s? <laughs> more typically. So for our boys, for their full... Some days uh, I feel like I'm still trying to catch up, but yeah. 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 So for their full, for full, like neocortex, that frontal lobe of the brain, that part of the brain that's in charge of planning and judgment, cause and effect. You know, if I drink this case of beer and jump off a bridge into a cold river, what's going to happen? Our 16 year old boys do not have that ability to think that through in their, in their frontal lobe, mm. that full 
thinking part of the brain does not come online for boys until 26, 27. Mm. For our girls, it's more like 20, 19, 20. Mm. But for our boys, it's it's late 20s. What have we expected our boys to do before that? Drive a car, graduate from high school, decide what they want to be when they grow up. It's it is not in alignment with where they are in their development. But we think that they they should know. And we just perceive, I just feel like we perceive our boys so differently. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. There's a, there's a few things coming up for me, but I just want to very brief, briefly circle back to the like, so I should put words in his mouth phrase. And like, I can hear in that question from that father, a little bit of um, like, there's a little bit of like, that doesn't sound right, but I, like, we're all all as like kids are getting all of their words put in their mouth in a way, right? Like just they absorb what they absorb or not. And so what I hear you saying is let's, let's be aware of this developmental gap and let's without shame or pressure that they, that they're not at the same place, recognize that if we, if we intentionally pour more uh, vocabulary, more, more ways of understanding and working with what they're feeling early on, that's going to pay off over the long run. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And as you're talking, as you're saying that I'm thinking about, you know, as parents, we we're constantly doing that. Yeah. That's like, I mean, that's all every single word our kid says is a word we put in their mouth or or that some, some other source has put in their mouth, right? That's what language acquisition is. So in a way it's like, yes, I want you to put words in his mouth, I want you to put words that will help him grow and mature. That's what I want mm-hmm. you to do. Yeah. yeah. And the fascinating thing about this conversation where this where this came from with this dad was it was a small circle of parents, moms and dads. And one dad had been talking about how he was feeling. He, I mean, deeply emotional conversation. I don't exactly remember that part, but I do remember watching this dad that said this. And before he said, you mean I have to put words in his mouth? He actually said to this other man's emotional conversation, he said, I actually don't even know what you were just talking about. (laughs) He was so disconnected from how he felt, what his emotions were. And so, you know, and here he is striving and trying so hard to show up for his child. Mm, mm, and I, and this mm, is another area mm. that we can launch into as I feel that our, our fathers, our dads now are in this crossroads. So we have this expectation in, in, relationships in the world that we want our men to be deeply feeling. We want them to express themselves. We want them to be good fathers and show up with full range of emotions. And yet they weren't parented that way. And so we have this expectation. I tell, I tell wives all the time, you know, go easy here because your parenting partner might not have the foundation 
or that deep kind of default learning that he got from his parents, he might not have that. So you're expecting him to show up without the knowledge base to show up in an emotionally robust way. Mm. Mm. And I'm curious, I mean, what's your experience? Because you're the dad I'm talking about. What's your, and, and well, you I would probably be the dad who's involved. having the, the deep emotional, you know, like I, there's a few things coming up. I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can sort my feelings and thinking here. I think I, I feel very biased towards that need for men to access the parts of themselves that they have uh, repressed because they had to, to survive their childhood mm-hmm. or because they are afraid of, or uh, because they were implicitly told weren't welcome and, mm-hmm. um, or explicitly told weren't welcome. Yeah. So I'm very much like a sort of a champion, although, although I'm learning even right now from you about how to do this for a young boy, like for, for adult men to sort of hang out like the other dad who's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I'd be like, here, come here, man. Let me, let's like, yeah. Yeah. Let me just ask you a few questions. Let me help you. That would be like the, the place where I'd want to intervene is with that mm-hmm. dad who's like, to his credit, is showing up in this like parental learning space and trying, really trying, but just yes. very under-resourced about mm-hmm. like what the heck to do. So um, I can kind of relate to the dad who's sharing deeply. I can also relate to the dad who's trying, but doesn't quite know how. And um, I feel a lot of sadness for for the kind of unconscious ways that, that men sort of keep pushing this forward to the next generation because they had it pushed on them, this sort of cycle of intergenerational kind of performative masculinity, that sort of uh, like, Hey, I have to be stoic and I have to not talk a lot and I have to uh, show that I'm tough and be strong and, and I'm just like, like what's happening for me as I hear you is like, wow, like that masculine identity that has sort of emerged over a few centuries in kind of uh, modern Western capitalist culture and has, of course, many older roots in different cultures. But like that identity is so dissonant with the, the biological, emotional realities that you're describing for young boys who come into the world. And so it's almost like there's this vicious feedback loop that keeps the exact thing that little boys need. That is the exact thing that most adult men aren't capable of giving them. And that, that just strikes me as a huge tragedy for our culture. It is such a tragedy. It's such a tragedy. And, and it's this place of, I believe that, you know, like that dad, he's doing the best he can. And as you said, under-resourced, probably who knows what his dad's messaging was to him. The other piece of that, two pieces of that is one is the, the social media, the exposure. I'm thinking uh, we just did an interview with a woman who's who studies boys and body image 
So our boys that think our tweens and teens are getting these messages that girls and, you know, girls have gotten, you know, you need to look a certain way. You need to have the six pack abs or, you know, why am I? I still have a part of me that has like wishes I had the six pack abs and like, yeah, I mean, don't we all really, you know, I'm embracing my I'm embracing my soft belly as I'm holding my two and a half week old grandson. It's like, oh, this is why I have that soft belly. So he has a good place to land. (laughs) And trying to be okay with that. So, I mean, body image, but our young, our boys, even our, our little boys are, you know, the superheroes. Well, you've got to have that big chest and those muscles so you can be tough and strong. And yet, is that what we want? We don't want that for our boys. And we don't, we want them to be soft and, and emotional and, and all of those things. And, so there's that messaging from the larger culture, from movies, from social yeah, it's media. It's really confusing. Billboards. There's a lot of it's like such a mixed message. Yeah. yeah. And what happens though is for our boys when they start to enter into school and they're with their peers, then boys start policing each other. Mm. And mm. it's crazy making because you know, then the message from your friends is, oh, I do have to be tough. I do have to be, um, you know, if I cry, I'm going to get made fun of Mm -hmm. if I show Mm -hmm. emotion. So it is, it feels insurmountable to change this. I believe we are people like you are changing this and the change is glacier at a glacier (laughs) glaciatic pace. It is Mm. because it does does feel insurmountable. I mean, yeah, I, I'm in touch with the sense of like, uh, I can think of, I'm in, for whatever reason, I'm in, like thinking of some political leaders right now. And uh, and this isn't really a current event show generally, so I'm, I'm not going to name names so that, but I, I mean, just like picture, pick your male political leader mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, sort of best case scenario, there's a sort of inability to connect and be empathetic worst case scenario there's a like literally i'm going to go to war to prove how strong i am stance yeah and uh that feels that does feel insurmountable it feels really scary to think about the that vicious feedback loop like the more boys start policing each other the more intense the feeling is that I have to hide the parts of me that are emotional or sensitive. Uh, and, and that just kind of calcifies. And by the time you have a 27 year old who's finally all of their neurology has come online, their physiology has come on it. There's, it's still possible to shift that. I know that firsthand, but like the work is very different than, mm-hmm. than the work for a two year old boy is or a five year old boy is. Mm-hmm. So there is something like you, you're standing, your work is standing for like, Hey, we can't keep doing this to ourselves. Right. Right. We cannot keep doing this. We have to understand what our young boys need. And I will say that is so much physical. They need to move their bodies. It needs to be acceptable for them to move their bodies. And I know, you know, I just think about parents of young children are exhausted and, and yet there's many, many ways that they can be given those opportunities to move 
inside the house. We need to understand that boys want to be challenged. Boys want to be of service and that we can support that and amplify that channel it. Mm. Boys, Mm. you know, boys have big emotions. I work often with, um, with parents who's, you know, Oh, he's aggressive. He's violent. It's like, be careful of the words you Mm, choose mm, because it isn't that it's mm. simply that you he's had to be in a daycare setting or kindergarten or in school six hours a day. And he's got energy to burn Mm, and it's going to come out mm. some way. How are we as the adults going to channel that and facilitate that and create a way where it is okay for Mm. him to use his body? Mm. Mm. Oh my goodness. Okay. This is like, I feel like I could end here and be like, all right, all right, all right, babe, my wife, we got work to do, (laughs) (laughs) but this is really, really, uh, impactful. And I guess the thing that I'm in, I'm in touch with is, is a part of me is worried right now that, uh, that we are implicitly, doing what we're both trying, what you are trying to avoid, which is to sort of say that, that there are aspects of what we might call masculine identity, which by the way, I also like, I'm of the opinion that, that although these masculine feminine categories can be useful, they can also be really constraining and Mm -hmm. limiting. Mm -hmm. So I know, I know, uh, women and gender fluid and gender queer people who fit some of these archetypes, but for, Mm -hmm. for, the sake of our conversation, we have this kind of masculine ar- archetype, which mm-hmm. in its worst kind of worst, quote unquote, but it's sort of most, it's least healthy, least functional, least adaptive version is really rigid, really constrained, really uh, keeping a mask on, armored up um, mm-hmm. uh, so much so that, that, that emotions feel like alien. Like there's like, not even like an, an ability to access. And if they are, it's scary. So it just push, push, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. there is a really healthy archetype, like this sort of male body that is, has certain strengths and certain capacities generally that, that, uh, that we, that I hear you saying, like, we want to celebrate and cultivate that We I would imagine I like, I want to be, and I want my son to be fully accessible to his strengths, his ability to, Mm -hmm. to, to persist, his ability to be tough, to handle like the toughness, like the hardships of life and to stay in integrity and, and be of service and Mm -hmm. to be emotional and to be able to name when he's hurting and ask for help. And, and so I just want to make sure we're not either oaring these, but rather really seeing that like there is a masculine archetype that can be really powerful as long as it's not reduced to this sort of two-dimensional cardboard cutout. Yeah. Curious yeah. how that That's lands with you. So, oh my gosh, that is so beautifully put, Andy. I love that. And that is that is the the work that we have to do because we we want we want it all. We want both. We want women who are strong and soft. We want men who are strong and soft. Mm. And it's mm. knowing the situation, mm. knowing when to show up in strength, knowing when to show up softly mm. Mm. We, as human beings it's not a male female thing mm. we want we want to be both and i think that's i think we are on that evolutionary track i i have to hope that we are and yet it's this you know 
insane amount of information coming at our Mm. boys, coming Mm. at us as Mm. adults. You know, we have to catch ourselves in that too. And, and I'm really aware of this lately because my daughter just had a baby two and a half weeks ago. Mm. Congratulations, grandma. Thank you. Thank (laughs) you. It's very exciting. It's so exciting. I'm projecting, I can, I'm picturing my mom who's, who's become a grandma and how much she loves it. So I'm, I'm, Maybe projecting that onto you, but I sense that's really, really. Well, I love kids, right? So I'm all about that. But they, when they were pregnant, they didn't know what they were having. So here's this anticipation of this baby coming and the parents chose not to find out what, what gender it was. And, and they referred to it as a, they, them. And I could tell, you know, just as I was musing about who is this baby, what's this baby going to be? And, you know, I definitely went in a different track thinking if it was a girl, oh, we would do these things together. If it was a boy, oh, we would, you know, we'd be more out. Not, I mean, I took my kids camping all the time, my two girls. And so there's not that, but I could tell a different kind of thought train. You could already see, yeah. I could already mm. see it. And it's like, mm. wait a minute, this is the work I do all mm. the time, every mm. day. Mm. And still it's so deeply embedded in us. Oh, if it's a boy, it's going to be like this. If it's a girl, we're going to do this. So full reveal, it's a boy. And, you know, that's just so thrilling to, to have a boy in my life. I'm really excited about our adventures. Mm. Mm. Would Mm. I be saying it the same way if it were a girl? I think so, but I don't know. You know, it's, Mm. would I be thinking the same things? Mm. It's fascinating. So it's so, so deeply embedded in us that I, you know, I encourage our listeners to just start noticing where and how those thoughts show up. And then, oh, we can do a little like, oh, huh, there's that. How can I do that? So so like, if I notice that I'm, and I, and I already can sort of just, just from this conversation, I'm sure I'll notice some things today, even when I go upstairs that I hadn't noticed before. But if I notice that I'm implicitly treating my son and daughter differently, like in one way, I'm hearing you say that's important because they are different. But in another way, we're saying they are like, we want to essentially help both of them access the full range of their capabilities and potentials. Yes. And and so maybe just like help me help me feel into or think through how to work with the difference in a way that's really productive and amplifies like amplifies them and meets them in their difference, the sort yeah. of boy girl difference and oh, then yeah. help me think about where to yeah. where to actually blend and and show up in a way that's uh, kind of equal or equitable or yeah. Do you see what I'm playing with here? I do. I absolutely do. So it's a doorway. We have a doorway. So with your daughter, we know that she's likely pretty verbal. She can tell you how she's feeling. Um, so we want to bring her qualities that she might not necessarily gravitate towards. So typically girls are very relational and they're happy to sit and, you know, drink, have a tea party with you. This feels very stereotypical 
typical, even as the words are coming out of my mouth, but mm-hmm. it's likely true. And also, or you might have the, a very... I can also picture that so far what you're saying about my daughter feels true, even though you're uh-huh. just saying it about a generic four-year-old yeah. girl. <laughs> yeah. I raised two girls. I know this. Um, and so what we want to do for our girls is get them more physically active than they might choose to be. Get them out, get them camping, get them climbing trees, get them, you know, running around, getting dirty. They might not typically choose that. Some might, some might not. So it's looking at, oh, how can I expand this full range of this human being with other experiences? Girls typically will not choose competition. Some girls will. I mean, this, you know, there's no one size fits all, but girls typically will not choose competition. So in as when I was a teacher that I was very conscious about that of like, oh, I do want to bring in some challenge and competition here Mm. because that's huge for our boys. Mm. They love that. Mm. They so Mm. it's like, okay, how can I fully expand this female's range of what's interesting in life? building on the qualities she has. Okay, now looking at my boy, the doorway in for our boys is He's gonna be physical. He mm. wants to move his body. And it's what we said before about, mm. well, let's give him some more words to put with how mm. he's feeling. And let's, you know, let's build on that relationship. And it might take a little more work. Even with newborn baby boys, we know science tells us newborn baby boys pre, pre tend to prefer moving objects rather than faces. Hmm. Newborn baby girls tend to prefer faces to moving objects. Hmm. So with my little baby bow, it's like, let's just, you know, work on that engagement face to face and talk to hmm. him and, hmm. and see that maybe he turns away sooner than a baby girl would, you know, it's hard to, hard to gauge, but I do have a friend who adopted boy girl twins Mm. And it was fascinating to watch their development. The girl was always a little bit ahead that, you know, they're going to do every step. They're going to sit up, they're going to crawl, they're going to walk. But the girl was always a little bit ahead. Fast forward, they're 10 and a half now. And the girl is super verbal and she loves school. And the boy is super active (laughs) and doesn't really love school. Mm. Sounds stereotypical, but it's true. Mm. It's true. Well, and I, I mean, I, if, if everything you're describing is true, at least generally, and like you said, there's always exceptions, like sure. why would you love school if you went to a place that just sort of didn't value, it's almost it's almost like, and I've never quite gotten in touch with this in the way that you're helping me, but it's almost like the things that girls generally are naturally strong for, our current kind of dominant society keeps reinforcing that for them and celebrating that mm-hmm. them at the expense of them developing this full range of possibility. Mm-hmm. And then on the same thing, like for our, for our boys, all of the things there they need help with, we keep not giving to them and we keep kind of, and so we're like this sort of widening and widening of these uh, gender differences yes. that are doing a disservice to all of the kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, school, school, as we know it, has only been around for about 150-ish years, <laughs> right? Right. 150 yes, years crazy. out of all of Just human eye, development. Eye it's an eye and blink. somebody decided, and I, it was Horace Mann actually, decided that let's, let's uh, systematize 
educating our children. Let's put them all, put the same ages in the same box, same classroom, and give them the same information. Well, a five-year-old boy and a five-year-old girl are so different developmentally. We've already said that. So then already the expectation is set up against our boys. When we think about before school was a system, how did we learn? How did we learn? Our our children were out in the fields. They were taking care of animals. They were mm. apprentices. Mm. They were learning at the at the knees of the blacksmith. And for our boys, that was the way that they learn. They mm. learn by watching. They learn by participating, by doing, by trying and failing by cause and effect. Oh, if I don't take care of my cow, I'm not going to have milk. We mm. are, you know, all those mm. things, the practical, relevant way of consuming knowledge of learning. That was how our boys that was promoting how our boys mm. could learn. And now we're just like information in, information in. Our boys cannot process mm. all of the talking mm. that happens mm. at school mm. because they're not experiencing it with their bodies. Yeah. They're not learning in a physical way, which is mm. typically how our boys process information. So if you could... um go back to your teacher self that first year when you had 10 boys and two girls, I think you said it was, or maybe, or maybe even I'll, I'll play this question even more boldly. Like if you could not only give her advice, but actually give the whole school advice. Like if you could redesign that school in a way that would, that would serve all of the children, what are some of the big design differences you would make in this school, which by the way, you said Waldorf, great reputation for being, you know, but, 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 but like you, you now are in charge. You get to remake the school. How would you do that? Janet? Oh, yay. Oh, I love it. I have worked with teachers for the last 20 years and I would, what would I do? First of all, there would be more men in the school. There okay, would be yeah, the staff, you'd get more men the in there. Staff somehow. would be more men. There would be more dads coming in and out of the classroom. There would be more active learning. And that by that I mean, you know, they would be out building walls, digging holes. And this is good for our girls too, mm. right? Gardening. Mm. There mm. would be animals to take care of. There would be um, in Waldorf schools, all the kids do handwork. All the boys learn to knit. Uh, you know, everybody mm. makes their knitting needles and they learn that work with their hands is growing their brains. Mm. And mm. so the yeah, we're making our food, we're washing our dishes and parents can do this at home. You know, we tend to think, oh, I'll just do it myself because it's quicker. But your kids actually love doing the work of the home. If you allow them and sure, it's going to be messy and they have to learn how to clean up and sweep and all those things. But you are, you are just doing exactly what your children need mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. thrive in this world teaching a three-year-old to make soup and clean up their mess and put their clothes in the wash. They are going to, they are going to soak that up. Mm. 
Try Mm. teaching a 13 year old. Now you got to do your laundry, son. (laughs) That's going to be a horror show. But if you're teaching it when they're young, it becomes part of who they are. And they just snap. It's like a habit. Yeah, of course, you take care of your own clothes and you pack your own lunch for school. Our kids are way, way more capable than we allowed them to be. Mm. 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 I wish I went to that school and I was okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and even in that school, it was still predominantly women as the teachers. Yeah. I mean, like the school that you just imagined. My my imagined school. Yeah. Yeah, Let's do that. I mean, isn't that the school of real life? Yeah. And that's Mm. what our boys want is relevancy. My uh, podcast co-host is raising four boys and her son has always hated school. He's just turned 16. His passion has been lawnmowers and snowmobiles. And he has a lawn mowing business and he rebuilds snowmobiles. And she said, you know, my garage is full of parts and pieces and he's out there all the time. And he's just raced his first snowmobile race with a rebuilt engine that he did, you know, he did and, and took third place. And that is, that is that is like opportune learning for our boys. Mm. It's mm. not sitting in a classroom being told things. Mm. 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 And I think, I mean, and that's good for our girls too. Yeah. Yeah. Janet, this has been a, um, we maybe have about eight minutes left and uh, I've been really enjoying this conversation. I want to, um, so I just want to, I, I, I need to, this is something I need to get better at doing because it's a, it's a new thing I'm bringing to the show and I forgot to ask you, but I want to just plant a little seed before we wrap up. Okay. I've been asking my guests to read some sort of poem or blessing or benediction or quote. So I just want to like, if there's something that you, that really encapsulates either from your own writing or from stuff that you draw on that would be worth sharing as we close, that'll be in about eight minutes from now, I'll ask you to do that. So I'm just going to like plant that seed and let it percolate. Mm-hmm. And, and while it's percolating, uh, trusting that some part of your subconscious might come up with something. And if it does, great. I want to, uh, I want to flag that you do, you actually do work to help parents uh, make sense of what their boys are going through and show up more like more equipped to meet them where they are in their development. Is that right? Something like decoding, decoding boys or something Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. So I work in two ways. I am a family coach and I do private coaching with parents. And that is, you know, we can uniquely dive into exactly what's going on in your family and shifting dynamics there. And my group program is called Decoding Your Boy, Less Yelling, More Connecting, because it's all about connecting. But we don't know how to connect, just like we've been talking today, until we know who we're connecting with. Mm. And so this year-long program, which you can join at any time, has monthly themes. So we've talked about how to get your boy to listen. We've talked about boys and anger, screens and video games. So each month is a topic. Mm. And within that topic, we're talking about boy development, boy communication, all of these things that we've been talking about today. And it's 
we meet twice a month live on Zoom. And the first of the month is me teaching on that theme and some questions. The second time we meet on the 15th of the month is a coaching. You bring your questions. Mm. We talk about it. We strategize. Mm. We problem solve. And we know, you know, from working in community is that one person's question. Oh, somebody else probably had that question yeah. too. Yeah. Or you didn't even know you had that question, but there's an answer for you. So, mm. and, and the community, the parents support of each other, it's, it's just priceless. So mm. that is, mm. um, you can find that at boysalive.com slash decode. It has the whole explanation there, but you can join anytime. And we have, we have a community of parents from all over the world. And I'm really proud of that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That actually maybe that's maybe the question we can, we can sort of land on, which is how do I want to ask it? That's something, it's something about cultural difference. And I remember very, before I became a dad and I wish I could remember who the authors were, but maybe, maybe you'll remember, or maybe you'll spark it. But I read a book that basically was like, uh, Hey, Hey, kind of Western American parents, it does you you need to relax a little bit. <laughs> like you matter, just not in the ways that our culture tells you you matter. And that like the sort of helicoptering and constant intervention, it was just sort of like if we look at many different cultures of parenting, this the sort of things, the strengths that we see, regardless of very different cultures are like, there's a lot of room for difference. And, and what's in common is that like many cultures recognize that it's about letting their children be who they are, as opposed to trying to like make them into something. Mm-hmm. And so there's a bit more of this, like, and, and I remember finding that and like, oh, that's so interesting. And then mm-hmm. recently I read a book, uh, I think it was called Hunt Gather Parents, which sort of in particular, the author went and uh, like, visited different cultures and mm-hmm. sort of observed their different parenting and brought back some tips about that. And I just wonder, I wonder if you could speak to, to this kind of cultural lens, like you and mm-hmm. I have been talking implicitly and primarily through a kind of an American educational cultural lens. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I wonder how you relate to this broader, like, actually I work with parents from all over the world. Like how do you relate to this broader cultural diversity that mm-hmm. shows up around parents? Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up uh, eat parent. What was it? Well, yeah, like hunt, book? hunt, gather parent or something like that. I think it was called. Uh, yeah. What was what the author's name? Michaeline Mi- du- Duclef. Michaeline Duclef yeah. is the author of that book. And we interviewed her for the On Boys Parenting Oh, you did? Podcast. Oh, cool. So you can Google On Boys Michaeline and, and there it will be. She, she did travel with her daughter to these other cultures. And, you know, I think that the the thing that we can take away as Western parents is stop with the comparison. First of all, your child is your child unique from every other child. Mm. So parenting the child that you have, not the child that you want to have or think that you should mm. have. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I think is so important is that we trust We trust ourselves. We trust our gut, our intuition about our own child. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. We don't have to worry about the kid down the street and what those parents are doing. We are connected to our own child. And sure, this is a whole body of knowledge that we can understand about boys like we've been talking about today. But you know your son more than anyone else on the planet Mm. and trusting that. Mm. And I would also say that, yeah, trusting your trusting your own intuition, also trusting your child's abilities. Mm. And I, I go back to this friend of mine. I, I've just watched her parent this young boy. And even at age two and a half, three, he was in the kitchen right next to her, stirring hot soup, cutting with a knife because she had taken the time to show him he had watched her. And when we can do that, it builds our children's confidence. Mm. She had him out. And I mean, I was having a heart attack because we were on this top of this mountain in this big heap of boulders and he was barely walking, but she had him climbing around on these rocks and I'm having a heart attack, but she's (laughs) calm. So I'm watching her and he is totally engaged with his entire body. Mm. He, there was trust for him in his body and what his body could do. Mm. And when we helicopter, when we, you know, pick the child and take the child up the stairs, or we don't let them struggle as a young child with their physical body, we make it easier. We put them in little seats that roll around on wheels. We aren't allowing them to Mm. come fully Mm. into their body Mm. and trust their trust their own physical body, trust themselves. So Mm. trusting ourselves as the parent, allowing our children to gain that trust in their own capabilities Mm. too. Mm. That's so awesome. I'm really glad we landed there. That, that feels like a philosophy of parenting that I want to aspire towards. So thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, and I can I can pause the recording for a minute if you need some time to find it, but I wonder as you just think on our conversation, is there a particular quote or poem or something I do want to find share? it. I okay. do want to find it. Hang I'll pause a for second. a second while you do that. I'm ready. I'm going to have to have, okay. Well, th- thank you for asking about that. And this fits perfectly with our conversation that we've just been having. And it, this comes from St. Francis of Assisi. And it says, he who works with his hands is a laborer. He who works with his hands and his head is a craftsman. He who works with his hands and his head and his heart is an artist. Mm. 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 Perfection. Yeah. Isn't that what we want for ourselves and our children? Yeah. I love the end, end of that. And mm-hmm. the, like the, the thought that whether or not it's actually like an artist, the way we think of it today, that, that all of us can be artists if we simply know how to work with, with our hands and our hearts and our heads all, yeah. all together. Yeah. yeah. Artistry in what we bring to the world, artistry in our conversations with each other, in our connection with our children. Mm. Yeah. 
Beautiful. Thank you, Janet. And thanks Thank everyone you. for listening in. This has been a real, real treat. Appreciate it. Thank you, Andy. Thanks for tuning in to the Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Sirqua and audio editing services from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep the show going for as long as I'm able, but 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now more than ever.